So as a college professor, I had a trick that always worked like a charm. You see, my classes were always at 8 in the morning. Because I wasn't a tenured professor, I got the great hour of 8 in the morning. And because they were gen ed classes, they were packed. And what was even worse, they were 90 minutes long. 90 minutes. Now, that's a long time in an intro to world religion class, don't you think? I mean, 90 minutes is a really long time to hold people's attention about the Bhagavad Gita, right? Or about the five pillars of Islam. Or even about Jerusalem and all of the many parts of its history. So my students' eyes would simply glaze over and sometimes about 30 minutes into the class literally roll back in their heads as they would fall asleep during my wonderful lectures, right? So that's when I would do it. I would stop, dramatic pause, and I would say, let's make sure you understand this because it's going to be on the quiz. Well, then suddenly everyone would sit up and they would start writing. And what's even more important, they would start asking questions, right? Because now, now they felt they needed to do something with those concepts and ideas and facts that were just washing over them. I think about that college professor trick every time I read the letter to the Ephesians because the writer of Ephesians does the exact same thing, and he does it right here in the passage that Claire just read to you in chapter 4 in verse 1. Now, you might not see it unless you sat down and read the entire letter in one sitting, but take my word for it this morning, okay? Because after three chapters of dense kind of theological language, language that kind of describes God's love and power, our salvation and hope, after three chapters that literally sing of God's grace, in chapter 4, verse 1, the author writes something that made the early church sit up and take note, something that should wake us up this morning as well. And it's one little word. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, he says, therefore, that's the turning point in the letter to the Ephesians, therefore, it's the author's way of saying, wake up, now you need to do something, now you need to respond. Look at all these wonderful things that God has done, the letter says. Look at the power of our God. And since God has done so much for you in Christ, given you so much, here is your part. Here is your response. Therefore, therefore what? If you were listening carefully as Claire read, you noticed that the therefore wasn't go and preach your heart out. It could have been. The therefore wasn't go and save the world. It wasn't even go and build some churches, was it? These therefores make sense. But you may have noticed that our author asked something much more difficult, much more substantial of you and of me and of the early church. The author said, therefore... Live as people worthy of the call you received 
from God and grow up. Grow up in every way into Christ. God has done so much for you, therefore grow up. Live a life worthy of what God has done and grow up. Don't behave like children, grow up. Don't live like someone who hasn't learned Christ, grow up. Now that's quite a challenge, isn't it? A really wonderful thing happened to me when I was about 12 years old. My parents bought an empty lot across the street from my maternal grandparents, and they built a house. So that meant the last six years that I lived at home, those kind of tumultuous teenage years, I lived right across the street from my granny. Now, this was helpful because I was a strong-willed, intelligent child, desperate to grow up and separate from my family. And my mother was an intelligent, strong-willed woman, desperate to protect me and hold on to me. So you can see that my granny had her work cut out for her, didn't she? Not a week went by that I didn't run away from home to granny's house, right? And there I would sit, and I would complain mightily at her kitchen table. I would complain about my mother's attitude. I would literally sit at my grandmother's kitchen table making just eloquent speeches about how mature I was and how my mother just didn't understand me. Mature, um, eloquent speeches about my mother's lack of respect. I wish, I would say, I wish mom would quit treating me like a child as I ate my warm chocolate chip cookies and sipped my milk, okay? <laughs> Well, my granny was wise. She listened more than she talked. And so when she talked, you paid attention. And sooner or later, after she listened to all of my nonsense and let me get it all out, she would say something like, well, honey, if you don't want to be treated like a child, you might have to stop acting like one. You might have to stop acting like a child. At 12, at 14, at 16, at 18, my granny's comment always stopped me in my tracks. In her wisdom, she would turn my thinking away from the wrongs of others toward my own responsibility for maturity. She helped me to ask the question, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How does it work, this growing up? The fourth chapter of Ephesians begs the same question. What does it look like? What does it feel like to grow up into Christ, to mature in our relationship with Christ? Well, says Ephesians, you know what it doesn't look like? It doesn't look like a small child, vulnerable to the whims of others and vulnerable to meltdowns of emotion and energy. And you know what it doesn't feel like? It doesn't feel like a small rudderless boat tossed and blown by any wind that comes along. No, according to Ephesians, growing up in Christ, spiritual maturity looks like humility and gentleness. It looks like patient bearing with one another in love 
It feels like unity where there is human division and hope where there is human despair. Growing up into the fullness of Christ, maturity in Christ, looks and feels like a life worthy of our loving God. It looks and feels like a life useful in this hurting world. Therefore, he wrote, therefore, grow up. Now, lest your eyes begin to glaze over right about now, I want you to listen. Because what I'm about to say next will most likely be found in a test somewhere in your life very soon. So sit up and take notes. The letter to Ephesians points us toward maturity in Christ, to spiritual growth, by urging us to attend to two very important relationships. Two relationships. First, our relationship with the truth. And secondly, our relationship with one another as Christians. Our relationship with the truth and our relationship with one another as Christians. And while many other aspects of maturity, spiritual maturity, and growth matter, these two relationships are worth spending some time on this morning. So let's begin with our relationship with the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Christ. Now, I think we would all agree that truth is important. Truth about ultimate things, truth about what is right, truth about God's demands and God's purposes, truth about Christ's claim on our lives and on this world. Truth is important, and as we grow and as we experience life, we become more confident that we know the truth, right? Some even get a bit too confident, seeming to have a corner on the truth in some way. And everyone, everyone in our world and in our lives and in the church seems to be very comfortable speaking truth, right? At least speaking their truth. Just look at Facebook, right? Truth after truth after truth. Everyone's comfortable speaking a truth the truth, their truth, about our country, our society, family values, what the church should be doing. Everyone, it seems, knows how to speak the truth, but few, few can do it in love. Speaking the truth in love, that's the hard part. That's what's rare, and that's the mature, Christ-like way. Love literally slows our speech. It reduces our words. And even more importantly, it will silence our minor truths for God's major truth. I was at a board meeting a few years ago at a nonprofit in Dallas. We had a brand new executive director and he was standing in front of the board for the very first time telling the story of a new initiative. He was trying to motivate the board to support it and to fund it, and he did a fabulous job. He created all kinds of excitement. The meeting ended with the initiative 
having full endorsement of the board and also three years worth of funding personally by board members. It was a terrible, a wonderful success. It was fantastic. But in his newness and excitement, that executive director failed to mention that one board member in particular had birthed, nurtured, and created the initiative. She'd been working on it for five years. It was her precious project. And I was one of the only people in the room who had that background. The whole time I was watching her closely during the presentation. Would she say something? Should I say something? She stayed quiet and so did I. And after the meeting, I went up to her and she gave me a big hug. She said, Stacy, this is so exciting. And I said, yes, but, but he didn't tell the full story. He didn't tell the, the full truth behind the initiative. And she smiled at me as mature people will do. And she said, Stacy, it doesn't matter. The most important truth the truth that got the initiative launched was told. If you were to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up, when you mature in Christ? Here is my answer. I want to be someone who knows when to speak truth and how to do it in a way that loves and wants the best for others. And if you were to ask me, what do you want the church to be? when grown up? Here's my answer. I want the church to be a community capable of living the truth, not just speaking the truth, but living the truth, where honest conversations can happen about truth without people picking up their marbles and going home, or people simply ignoring things that are very important. Friends, the world is tired of Christians who arrogantly proclaim the truth without showing love. And the world is rejecting the church that pompously speaks truth without showing love. Our relationship to the truth, it matters. And then there's that other relationship, our relationship with one another in Christian community. The author of Ephesians writes, bear with one another in love, making every effort to maintain unity in peace. Unity, come to find out, it really matters in the life of the church. And unity doesn't happen by accident, it has to be chosen and it has to be enacted it must be as important as being right. It must be as important as being holy or pure. In the Presbyterian Church, when we make our ordination vow, we say that we will uphold the peace, the unity, and the purity of the church. And somehow we believe we can do all of those at the same time. It's not easy. We should really think long and hard before destroying the unity of the church. But it's worth it. It's necessary to witness to the greatness and the power of God. I do think we undervalue this gift, and it is a great gift 
that we could give to the world. If Christians can't be united in what matters, if we can't show that to our community or our nation or our world, who will show unity? If Christ truly broke down the dividing walls of hostility in his death and resurrection, that is what we say we believe. If it's so, then you and I should be able to live with and work with those who see things differently. You and I should be able to love and honor those who experience Christ differently. And the church, the church should be a tent big enough to include and exemplify the big love, the big mercy of our God. I was in a class of five individuals receiving a doctorate from a Catholic university in St. Louis, Missouri. And our kind of graduation ceremony actually was a Catholic mass. The five of us were all hooded together at the altar by some priests. Three of us Catholic, two of us Protestant. And when all of the graduation things were over and the hoods had been donned, the mass began. Now, most of you know that as Protestants, we don't go take mass in the front of a Roman Catholic church. The official stand of the Roman Catholic church is that we're not welcome. And so it was not my intention during the mass, I mean, I had what I came from, which was the, for which was the hood, right? It was not my intention during mass to go forward. And so when the time came and the graduates started forward uh, to receive mass, my three colleagues who were Catholic started down the aisle and they got about halfway down and then to the horror of the Bishop of St. Louis, the Archbishop of St. Louis, they obviously had planned this. They turned around, made a big scene, walked all the way back to the pew where my Protestant colleague and I, in mortification, were then bodily lifted up. And the five of us went together to the altar. It was important to my Catholic colleagues to make that statement, that the unity of Christ's church, no matter what we do as institutions, that the unity was that important. If you were to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up, when you mature in Christ, here is my answer. I want to be a person who stands down from my own personal agendas for the unity of the body of Christ when I can. If you were to ask me, what do you want the church to be when grown up? Here's my answer. I want the church to be a community capable of performing unity, capable of teaching the world that it is powerful and that it comes from God. You might have noticed that at the end of our passage this morning, the author of Ephesians writes, grow up in every way into Christ because Christ is the one who knits everything together, who promotes our growth in love. You see, in the end, spiritual maturity, growing into Christ-likeness, 
It's just another way of talking about the journey of faith, the journey that each of us are on, the journey of a growing relationship with Jesus. Jesus who sometimes gently and frankly sometimes not so gently leads us forward to new understandings and new ways of loving. The Jesus who calls us to larger truth and to greater unity. The Jesus who empowers us to grow when we don't have the power to do it on our own. The Jesus who gives us one another for this awesome journey. Friends, pay attention because the people in your life, your spouse, your siblings, your children, your coworkers, they desperately need a grown-up Christ follower in their life. They desperately need a mature Christian, someone who knows how to be humble, how to be gentle, someone who knows how to listen, someone who, when they speak, can speak truth, but speak it with love. And friends, our community, our community needs a grown-up church of Jesus Christ, a church that knows the truth, that shares the truth with love, a church that can teach the true power and source of our unity and our hope. And the good news, the good news is that this growth, this maturity, it isn't about us. It's not about our striving and our work and our commitments. Ultimately, it's about a closer, more intimate relationship with Jesus. We draw close and the Spirit does the rest. It knits us together. It roots us deeper into the life that God desires for you and me, for your family and my family, for this church and for this world. If you want to be grown up, stop acting like a child, my granny said. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became an adult, I put away childish things. That's the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13. Do not be children, but grow up in every way into Christ, the author of Ephesians says. So what are we waiting for? For love's sake, for the world's sake. May God empower us. May God empower this church to grow up. Amen.